Hello, my name is Emily Jansen, and this is the Leadership is Female podcast. I am a female leader in the professional sports industry, and my front office resume includes titles like General Manager, Vice President of Corporate Partnerships, and Director of Sales. Did you know that less than 25% of leadership roles in the sports and entertainment industry are held by women? We've got work to do. Why? Because companies with gender and or culturally diverse executive teams were 21% to 35% more likely to outperform the competition. Simply put, diverse leadership helps your bottom line. The Leadership is Female podcast is here to help. Marian Wright Edelman said, you can't be what you can't see. So I am here as your host to create visibility by interviewing successful women who work in sports to uncover opportunities and teach you the tips and the mindset that will get you to the top faster. I believe there's enough room at the table for all of us. Take your seat and join me week after week, season after season, as we reach back to extend a hand to pull you forward. We will lead you forward because leadership is female. Hey leaders, let me be blunt. Sometimes in order to level up, you've got to get a new job. Because of this awesome community we have created here for engaged sports professionals and leaders in adjacent industries, opportunities are floating to this community. Do you want to hear about them? I want to share these new opportunities with you. Recently, I've included listings of available jobs in our newsletter and will continue to do so. If you aren't on that newsletter list, you can add your email at leadershipisfemale.com. And if you are hiring, email me at my personal email, emilyjansen at gmail.com, so that I can share your open role. If we want to continue to add diverse, talented leaders to our businesses, we have to look for new ways to recruit this diverse talent. 80% of our listeners on the Leadership is Female podcast are women. Find your next great hire here. Let's go. Marta Gola, Vice President of Tour and Event Sales at Legends, brings over a decade of experience leading successful sales teams and maximizing facility use across sports, attractions, and entertainment venues. She oversees the sale and private catering development initiatives for Legends Global Attractions. Through Legends, Marta previously executed the development and implementation of the special events and tour business for iconic NFL facilities such as SoFi Stadium, the Star, world headquarters of the Dallas Cowboys, and Levi Stadium, home of the San Francisco 49ers. Marta is a graduate of The Ohio State University and is based out of Legends office in Texas at the Star in Frisco. Marta is a total pro and discusses networking ideas, getting over your fear of asking for big dollars, and getting the right people on your team and the interview hacks to do so. This is a good one. Let's go. Welcome to the Leadership is Female podcast, Marta Gola, VP of Tour and Event Sales at Legends. We are thrilled to have you. Thank you for joining us today. Well, Emily, thank you for inviting me as a guest. I'm really honored um, and incredibly excited to be speaking with you and engaging with your incredible audience of future leaders. Yeah, I love it. And um, Marta and I met because um, I just interviewed a a wonderful woman, Lisa Feigenbaum, and she said, next interview has got to be Marta. So um, what an incredible example of leading to, to the next woman and women supporting women. So Shout out to Lisa for the intro and um, so excited to learn more about you. So Marta, can you tell us who you are and what you do? Absolutely. And just to um, second what you just said about Lisa, incredible woman, incredible leader in the industry. Absolutely love her and um, excited to, to see more women like her in our industry. Uh, but in regards to who I am, so I think, you know, a big part of how I define myself is my culture and my heritage. So I'll start with, I was born in Ethiopia, which is a country in East Africa, and I immigrated to the United States with my parents and siblings in the early 90s um, as a refugee. Uh, but I grew up in Columbus, Ohio in the Midwest, became a U.S. citizen, and then eventually went on to graduate with a marketing and communications degree from The Ohio State University. Uh, currently, I am the vice president of tour and event sales. I support our uh, business by establishing year-round revenue streams through private events, tours, um, you know, you name it, for all sorts of sports and entertainment brands that we represent. 
And most recently, I um, had the opportunity to develop the private events and tour program for iconic NFL facilities such as SoFi Stadium, which is the home of the LA Rams and LA Chargers, the Star, which is the world headquarters of the Dallas Cowboys, and Levi Stadium, which is the home of the San Francisco 49ers. So Legends has corporate offices throughout the U.S. and globally, uh, but I'm currently based in our HQ office in Dallas, Texas. Yeah, and we were just chatting about Legends and what an incredible opportunity working for that company brings, just working in the entertainment space. But I want to uh, rewind a little bit and talk about your, your journey to your sports career. So what was really uh, the, the thing about sports that piqued your interest for you to take this path? Yeah, I, you know, I played sports, um, you know, throughout my adolescence into high school, wasn't good enough to play in college, but I did secure academic scholarship, which forced me to pursue marketing and communication. But I always knew that I, um, I had a passion to compete. And the sports industry provided that platform or that landscape for me to be able to do that. So um, to say that I knew I had a defined path or defined plan to land within the sports industry would be, you know, would be just not true. So I, I think I kind of stumbled upon it, Forrest Gump my way upon it, but made some really great connections early on that helped define my path for me. And that's how I landed in sports. But um, you know, I'll, I'll rewind back to when I first graduated from Ohio State. The, the first thing that I did was I packed my bags and, and moved to Dallas, Texas. I didn't have a particular job lined up, but I did. I didn't have a job lined up in sports, but I did start working for a PR and ad sales company, um, which, you know, focused on radio and media. And it was called Reach Media. And I was working 10, sometimes 14 hours a day trying hard to prove myself. And I knew that I had to do something different. And then your career journey led you to Dallas and you were working with legends to, is that the first job you landed in sports? How did you land that role? You moved a little bit back and forth between legends and then your next gig at the 49ers. So kind of walk us through what that was like making the, the switch from the PR company grind to, uh, to your first gig. Yeah, so I'll say the combination of keeping my head down, grinding really hard with this PR, ad, sales, radio company, um, and the combined with the fact that I was in a brand new city and state um, really led me to realize that I had to you know, in order for me to combat the homesickness I was starting to feel and get back some balance in my life, I decided I really had to get out there and start meeting people. So I committed to 90 coffees in 90 days where I would reach out and meet with new and existing contacts to ask their advice, make a social connection and get personal or professional help navigating Dallas as my new home. About 30 days into this I ended up getting connected to and grabbing coffee with a family friend and premium, premium sales manager for the Dallas Cowboys, who later invited me to a Dallas Cowboys football game. Um, you know, I, I completely showed up to the game dressed as a fan, uh, but realized that the tickets I received ended up being sweet tickets um, for a suite that the sales manager used to entertain prospects and existing clients. During that game, I spent more time networking with you know the clients and, and um, asking the sales reps about their sales tactics than actually watching the game and uh, this didn't go unnoticed by the executive for the organization who happened to be in the suite and invited me to interview for an entry-level role that was posted through legends so i applied interviewed for the role secured a recommendation from my mentors including the premium sales manager who exposed me to the opportunity um, and the rest is, is really history from there, um, as it was clear that I had been bitten by the sales bug, as we like to say. And for me, it was even clearer that my journey in sales and sports was just beginning to take off from there. So, you know, even to this day, I, I maintain that practice of regularly making time for and scheduling coffee chats throughout my career. And it's helped me build a network of not only professional, but personal contacts who support me even today. So that was what got me in the door as far as sports go. 
Um, and then, you know, from, from there, it, it was a matter of proving myself in that entry-level role and then being given the opportunity with a brand new project in uh, San Jose, California to go open up the San Francisco 49ers new stadium. So I love what you said there, and I want to make sure everyone heard that. I asked Marta how she landed her first role in sports and what did she do? And it was a story about networking. 90 copies in 90 days is super ambitious. That is so awesome. And you were only a third of the way in before you made the, uh, the connection with the Cowboys and, uh, and kept up that curiosity during that meeting and uh, led to your first role. So what a great story there. And so San Francisco, mm -hmm. that new stadium, tell us what that was like. Man, that was so exhilarating. You have to understand at that point, I was in my early 20s um, and just completely I had found myself on, on a path that I, I couldn't believe I had landed on. And I was one of five founding members who helped and was tasked with building out the foundation and executing premium group sales for Levi Stadium, um, representing a prestigious sports team like the San Francisco 49ers, while simultaneously cross-selling third-party suites in groups to high-level tech companies and corporate clients in the Silicon Valley. Um, I was promoted within nine months to the special events department where we secured 14 million annually in event revenue. And I absolutely loved living in Northern California. And, and I, at that time, I couldn't have been happier with my job and the teammates that I went to battle with every single day. But um, about three years after moving to California and, and working for the 49ers, my husband's dad was, was diagnosed with prostate cancer which was a huge blow for, uh, for us and obviously for him um, as well. So fast forward four more months, we learned that his mother was diagnosed with breast cancer and that was truly a defining moment for us. My husband rightfully so decided and realized that he needed to get back to Dallas to be closer to his parents. And I knew that I had to be there as well. So at the time, um, you know, kind of going back to that 90 coffees in 90 days, I started to, you know, re-engage my, my contacts and, and, and my mentors and learn that at that time, the Dallas Cowboys were also actively building their new headquarters in Frisco. So I um, reconnected with a few folks and was given the opportunity to sell events and tours, which ultimately was a lateral move, but I gladly accepted. And the timing worked out perfectly to um, not only allow us to be with his family when they needed it most, but um, allow for me to continue my career on a promising path. So the stars just perfectly aligned. They did. I'm so sorry to hear about those diagnoses. That's cancer is the worst and it's affected my family and probably most of the people listening to this podcast family, and um, it presents us with um, some hard times in, in life. And it sounds like you guys made the right move for your family. And it also was a great move um, in your career when you returned to Dallas and you got some, some really good opportunity. And lo and behold, opening a new stadium again. How amazing. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And then to just, you know, emphasize exactly what you said, it's, it's crazy how those life moments can truly, you know, give you clarity on what matters most. And that can, you know, definitely be defining moments in regards to how, you know, your, your career will unfold and what path you'll be put on career wise. And I, I look back and think, you know, if, if those life moments hadn't happened, I wouldn't be sitting here in, in my current role today. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, and um, I, I had uh, Katrina Polanka on the podcast. She's um, VP with with the Spurs, and she said the way I loved the way that she articulated this. And she said we're three sixty human beings. Mm -hmm. It's not just you know you at work, and it's you know this one or two dimensional human being. Like we're three sixty humans, and we can't forget that we've got our careers, but we also have our families and discovering what's uh, most important to you and um, really appreciating those life moments for, for what they are and uh, making sure we pause to recognize what's important. And, you know, you never know what it's going to lead to for you next. And hopefully along the way, you're taking care of yourself and your family and, and those that are most important. Mm -hmm. 
So in, in that new role, you, um, you get the chance to, to do the stadium thing again. So, um, you know, the Dallas Cowboys are an iconic football team, iconic brand. Um, what was that like the second time around? How did that differ from the first and I also want to ask you, like, you've got to ask for some really big dollars. Um, how do you get over uh, that fear, if there is a fear, and, um, and what's your strategy? Yeah, I would say um, I, it was just as scary the, you know, second time around as it was the first time. Here you are representing an iconic brand like the Dallas Cowboys, and it can be frightening, but at the same time, I found it exhilarating. I, you know, the Dallas Cowboys are visionaries, they're trailblazers. So here I was with the opportunity to go out there and sell a 98 acre campus that was living, eating, breathing the Dallas Cowboys brand. And um, for me, it was such a, a great opportunity. And I had to take a step back and think about how cool of an experience this was and the value that we were bringing to our clients. And, you know, every single day I, in my lane, you know, we call it non-traditional revenue because it isn't your, your typical game day experience that we're providing. It's giving folks the opportunity to leverage sports facilities and sports brands to their own needs and desires and creating memorable experiences and tailoring it to their own needs. So, you know, that could mean, you know, having your wedding at the star, or that could mean a big corporate event doing a sales kickoff at the facility. And I think attaching the the end goal for the client with the value that we have to provide is what helped me get over, you know, asking for those big dollars. Because, you know, at the end of the day, if you're clear about what your 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 client's goals are, it just empowers you to, to put together an experience that they will see it, it's, it's clearly worth it. So, uh, and then the, the second part of that, that I learned early on in my sales career is that you just have to be fearless and a believe in your product, believe in the solution that you're providing for your client. And then finally, just asking for the sale, you know, stick behind what the, the solution that you provided and just ask for the sale and multiple times throughout the process. So the more comfortable that you get with that, you know, the worst that can happen is, 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 the answer will be no, which, you know, we, you can pivot from there. So I think that, you know, that definitely was my experience when I, when I first uh, came on board to, to sell the star and, you know, ultimately my uh, role with the star led to a leadership role where I had the opportunity to lead the department. But prior to that, um, I was, you know, in selling positions and now I was tasked with the responsibility of overseeing two departments and finding ways to motivate people to, you know, get after the, the same results that I know I was driven to achieve on an everyday basis. So um, that pivot from what motivates me, what gets me going to thinking about um, a, a department goal, thinking about individual goals, thinking about the team players that make up that culture and that help us get to that goal was the shift or the difference for me in my past experiences selling with, you know, the Dallas Cowboys inside sales previously to the Niners experience to now my role uh, with the star uh, overseeing the entire programs. So um, definitely different experience. And uh, I was supported by a lot of leaders and mentors who helped shape my own leadership philosophy and style as well. Yeah, it's a big shift from going from day-to-day -day seller to um, driving revenue, but also leading the team. Um, yeah. In your case, you had you had two teams. So, what was what was that jump like for you? And you said you leaned on a couple of mentors with with leadership philosophy. How did you develop your own, and um, and how did you lead that team forward to success? Yeah, um, I, I would say early on, you know, the the shift, it's, it's a complete shift in mindset. So it's in as long as you prioritize your people, I knew for me, it was it was important to build a very particular culture. And I wanted to get the right people on the bus as far as the people that I led. I knew that I was looking for certain characteristics, certain characteristics, and that our business was driven by people. So I, I spent a lot of time really recruiting 
um, hiring and, and focus on retaining the, the right people early on in my career. And I'm fortunate to say that, you know, those same individuals have either st stuck with me throughout Legends in different roles and properties, or I've, you know, I've, I've seen them go on to bigger and better opportunities. And, um, you know, that that was my, my philosophy initially and still is to this day from a leadership perspective is all focused and centered around people and leading with integrity. So um, I, I would state that first. And then from a mentorship and leadership perspective, I knew that I had to develop an arsenal of, you know, or, or what I would like to say, a board of directors. Like who, who are the board of directors for my personal and, pro and professional life? I have my board of directors for my personal life, which consists of my, my mother, my, my sister, my best friends, um, and then my uh, professional life, who are the, the board of directors for my professional life. And I look at those as, you know, my, my previous bosses and leaders um, and, and from all levels, from suite level to the executive level to my peers as well. So um, I don't know if that answered the question, but that's, that's my outlook in regards to, to that. Yeah, that's amazing. And, and you said getting the right people on the bus is the most important uh, key in, in leadership. Like you've got to have the right people that you're leading. I think many of us are going through processes right now where we're interviewing and, and onboarding for our team. Can you name a couple of things that you look for in a candidate that, um, that helps you identify that they are the right person to join your team? Absolutely. So I, you know, I definitely look at folks who take a sense of pride and have sh have a proven track record of wanting to be the best in whatever it is that they, that they they do or that they've been able to accomplish. So what is it that you're passionate about and how do you tell that story and how do you get that across to me? And, you know, I think the number one question that typically is asked during an interview is, you know, walk me through your resume. And that question for me, I, I tend to perk up and really listen because I want to see how they define their journey what were the things that stuck out as far as, um, you know, were, were important to them and, and, and how they're driven. And those are the, the key takeaways that I, I like to look out for and to see if, if, if it aligns from a, um, a, a culture standpoint for our company, because at the end of the day, we have the, you know, the sports industry is, it's, it's phenomenal. We're selling experiences. We are, you know, selling uh, copy machines or we're not out there selling, um, you know, life or anything that would be life or death. So it, the technical skills of doing what we do on a daily basis are, uh, are not something that I, I spend a lot of time interviewing on. And it, it's mainly, you know, what are the, the key attributes of a person? How do they define themselves? What are important to them? Where, where do they see themselves? Do they have a clear defined goal and, and path in regards to their career? Um, and also, you know, another um, attribute that I think is, is unique to legend specifically is how comfortable are they with ambiguity? Um, you know, how do they navigate their, their career? And, and I say that to, to say that, you know, the, the Cowboys are a great example of when you're on the forefront of blazing new trails, when you're on the forefront of creating new uh, opportunities and, and new projects, you, you know, you, there, there, most times there are a lot more questions than there are answers. So are you a person who can be comfortable with, you know, not having a, a playbook that you can um, execute against and being a, uh, a person who is, uh, has that mentality and is a self-starter and can create the playbook as well. So it's such a great point about ambiguity because you're literally creating something from nothing when you create an event. You've got the canvas. Mm -hmm. You uh, get to work with these people or these companies to select the colors, do the brush strokes. It's, it's all um, up to your own creativity. So you've got to have, it takes a certain amount of energy too to keep that going because like you said, it's not, it's not playbook. It's not specifically transactional. Everything is creative and uh, you got to keep, keep hustling and your brain has to be prepared <laughs> to do that, you know, day after day and, and really have fun with it yes. rather than, than be deterred that, Oh, I got, you know, I've got to create something new again. And we talked a lot about legends and you're now the VP of tour and event sales Legends is a premium experience company that works with marquee clients across business verticals, including sports, 
uh, professional sports, collegiate, attractions, entertainment, conventions, and leisure. They are the industry leaders in designing, planning, and realizing exceptional experiences in sports and entertainment. Pulled that right off the website so I would get it correctly. Um, can you tell us about your role? It's so interesting now how you've gone from just working with the star to, to doing um, an even larger scope in the entertainment industry. Yeah, um, I would start by saying for those of you who aren't familiar with Legends, there's actually a really good reason for that. And um, although Legends is powered by a conglomerate of really elite owners, such as the New York Yankees or the Cowboys, our company and overall approach is completely unique, unique in the sense that we are not a um, consumer facing brand. So, and, and nor are we, are we meant to be because Legends is fortunate enough to work with the teams and clients that we represent some of the best brands in the world, like the Dallas Cowboys and the Yankees. And we execute and operate on their behalf with a completely white label approach. So, um, you know, Legends is made up of, of six global divisions. And in my current role as vice president of Tour and Event Sales, I support um, most of those divisions, but specifically our global sales, hospitality, and global attractions divisions by establishing year-round revenue streams through events and tours. And uh, for many properties uh, that we oversee, I also contribute from an, an F&B perspective as well. Uh, but overall, I essentially help develop the corporate best practices, sales tactics, and processes that we scale across the portfolio of venues to assist our clients in driving incremental revenue in, in what we call non-traditional revenue streams in sports. So I think, um, you know, your, your audience is probably familiar with all of the traditional revenue streams, such as sponsorship, premium ticketing, major third-party events, and obviously everything team-oriented. And my job is to uncover opportunities in a non-traditional way in regards to, you know, private events and, and, and creating tour programs and creating a, a complete 360 model as it pertains to revenue. And so how do you do that? How do you maximize facility usage? I think this is something that most venues have been more focused on in the last five years than they ever have before. What are, if you take me through like that, uh, that initial uh, conversation on how to build out these programs, where do you start? You've got this multi-million dollar building that operates, you know, has the brand to operate generally one sport specifically, mm -hmm. and uh, might be doing some events on the side. You bring in pros from legends. Where do you start? Well, I, you, I think you start with the brand and the organization, you start by getting their definition of all of their organizational goals and how they themselves define themselves. So um, from there, I think, you know, led, my responsibility is then to um, identify the potential uses of the facility and the revenue stream. So there, you know, I, I mentioned earlier, there are typically three streams as it per, or three levels as it pertains to private events. So you have your you know, the first priority being um, game day events, everything team oriented, the second tier being major public ticketed events, and then that third tier being private events. Um, and, you know, within that really understanding or getting the uh, objective from the organization, what their end goal is at the end of the year. Is it a revenue number? Is it exposure? Is it, you know, um, um, driving more attendance. Um, and, uh, the, and what I mean by that is a lot of times for most of our clients, the tour program, aside from the revenue that it generates, the most important thing is that it gets exposure to the facility on non-game days, 365 days a year. So that could mean, you know, them experiencing and, and understanding the brand story that the team wants to tell and the history of the organization, or it could also mean driving folks to um, additional opportunities for the the star, for example, has what we call the star district, where we've rented out commercial uh, and retail space to restaurants and and retail and, and dining experiences. And tours is a big driver of getting and pushing football to those um, restaurants on site and retail venues on site. But um, you know. A, you define what the what the potential revenue streams are going to be. You align with the, the organization's goals, and then from from there, 
you know, it, it's, it's on me to, um, you know, I, I have a phenomenal team um, within Legends in regards to our CSL and, and feasibility um, studies that they are able to crank out for us that allows us to really prioritize um, the different revenue streams and establish the potential revenue in each bucket. And then from there, we work with the stadium operations team to really build out booking guidelines that allow a, a window of opportunities for each revenue stream to thrive. Um, so this typically when you enter an organization, all of these things are divided and everyone has a competing goal. So, you know, coming together, creating that comprehensive goal where everyone's marching towards the same vision is critical. And then it requires a, a certain level of buy-in from every party and a clear defined goal that should be assigned from the very top of the organization. So we get that, that vision from ownership and then we go from there. Hey leaders, if you want to be in for a treat, definitely subscribe to the show if you have not done so already, because we have so many amazing episodes coming up. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify, wherever you listen so you don't miss out. And if you leave us a review or post about me or tag Leadership is Female on your Instagram stories to talk about the show, we'll enter you into a giveaway. We're giving away something every single month. Some of my favorite things from my favorite work bag to my favorite sunglasses. Make sure that you spread the word and we will reward you for that. I'll also send you a personal thank you note and repost your comments and reviews. Last thing, did this episode bring you any insights, ideas, aha moments, anything you are inspired by? If so, take one second and share the link, post about it on your Instagram, text your friend, email, so many ways to share leadership is female. And if you do post about this show, again, don't forget to tag at Leadership is Female or at Emily Jansen or my awesome guest today, because knowing that this conversation made a difference for you means the world to us and we love to see it. Thank you so much. Yeah, 100%. And like all good partnerships, it starts with an investigative conversation. What are the goals? And um, work, work through those to define the objectives. So um, that's, that's incredible. And I, I really got this uh, really cool mental picture of touring the star and you know, what that would be like for a visitor to Dallas and a cool experience. And talk about getting buy-in for the team. You know, you might, you might just find yourself as a secondary fan of Dallas Cowboys after such a neat experience like that. Yeah, no, for, for sure. I can't tell you how many visitors that we get to the star, for example, that are not cowboy fans at all, but they leave the, the experience really having a certain level of respect for the, uh, the business aspect of, you know, how the team conducts itself and the inner workings or the behind the scenes view of how the cowboys, you know, train, practice, eat and prepare and, and feel themselves for, um, what they do every, every Sunday during the season. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so we, we talked about the fact that you went to the Ohio state university and I went to the university of Illinois and, uh, a couple of years ago, uh, we had a all-star game trip to Columbus for the AAA all-star game. And I got to change the chance to tour the, the stadium at Ohio state and, um, see the, I don't know what they call it, the hall of fame or, you know, basically yeah. the gigantic trophy case <laughs> that there is at the training facility. And, you know, I didn't become a fan of Ohio state because I've got to keep my, uh, my orange and blue running deep. However, the respect that I had for that program and, um, what they put into being the elite football team that they are, you know, almost every season, uh, was really incredible, uh, especially, you know, I'm a sports, sports geek, uh, industry geek as it is, but, um, man, that was, that was next level. So, uh, I can only imagine the experiences that you create for, uh, for these other teams. It's pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. You, you hit it on the head though, um, in regards to those, those universal ties that connect everyone, no matter who you are. 
you know, so again, the, the storied history is one part of it um, for the different teams, but also just the grit and grind in regards to the evolution of you know, how the team developed and how they got to where they are is um, the fascinating part or the most interesting part for me is in regards to developing the tour programs. Awesome. So Marta, can you identify a tipping point in your career? Yeah, um, I think with with sales, I think a lot of people can relate in regards to a tipping point typically um, falls in line with rejection. <laughs> so early in my career, I was um, building a, a great sales career in, in what I thought would end with, you know, premium ticket sales um, at a director level, um, you know, sticking with one team throughout my career. I, I had just crushed my uh, inside sales program and, and felt like I was on top of the world and expected to make it onto the next class of premium sales reps and continue my journey with the Dallas Cowboys. But I didn't get the promotion. Instead, I was moved laterally. Um, and the hiring manager told me very just straight up, you, you're good, but you're not ready for the next step. Um, I was devastated and I felt like a, a complete failure because, you know, at the same time I had saw my peers on similar timelines moving up and, and um, moving on to join that class. But instead of giving up, I decided to inquire into the feedback, set a separate coffee chat, um, you know, a few weeks later and really, you know, got very clear on the areas that I needed to improve on. And at the same time, I had the opportunity to reflect on what I what I really wanted in the next role or um, the the next uh, step in my career. And I think that, you know, I would define that as, as a tipping point for me. And it, it started me on the journey of self-discovery, taking an inventory of what I really who I was, what I wanted to do, what I enjoyed about the, about the job or working in sports and where I saw me going to next. And, um, you know, that has taken me all the way to the executive suite and on a path, I think that better suits me. Um, and I was also able to build a quality mentorship and relationship with that hiring manager, although I never ended up directly working for them. Well, I love what you said there, you got this feedback that was a little bit crushing. It was a bit of a blow mm -hmm. and you let yourself feel that for a second. And then you leaned into it and you asked a lot of questions. You got curious about how you could get better. And I, I think that is, there couldn't be a better definition of a way to deal with feedback than what you just described. Because sometimes we, we take it and run because it hurts. If you lean into it and really listen to what's being said to you, like, look at what it did for you in your career. So I, I just, I love that example and um, what a great message to, to lead her forward in, in her sports career is asking for receiving and then taking action on the feedback that's given. Incredible. Love Thank it. You. Thank you. Yeah. And, you know, I know that tipping point could probably also be, be called a hurdle, um, but there, is there a separate, separate hurdle that you've had to overcome and a lesson that you learned from that? Yeah, I think um, probably not tied to, to that hurt, that particular um, hurdle or tipping point, but I think a lesson that I've learned throughout my career is um, definitely, you know, don't be afraid to speak up and speak out. I think, you know, a, a lot of times we're, we're very driven to move ourselves along in our, in our career. And we're hyper-focused on how we're, we're evolving and, and growing in our careers. But um, I think, you know, the speaking up and, and speaking out part was definitely uh, one of the hardest things that I had to do, but learn early on that it, it was a must because um, there were a few times in my career where I had to speak out against, you know, bias, for example. And when I did, it was, uncomfortable, but also very eye-opening. And I'll give an example from a past company where one of my peer leaders and I were working on year-end reviews. I noticed um, something interesting in, in his feedback between two employees um, who were both high producers in, in our sales departments. And his feedback for you know the white male versus the black female was more favorable, although their sales results were, you know, pretty, pretty similar. And I it infuriated me, but I had to, you know, calmly ask him, you know, why he identified the, the white male positively as a, an aggressive sales leader and the, why the, the black female as, you know, strong seller, but too aggressive and, and, and not a team player. 
And that question alone made him consider his own bias and, and rethink his evaluation in a more constructive way. And I like to think, you know, had a, a positive impact ultimately on, on that employee as she continued to evolve her, her career. It helped him look and evaluate her a little bit differently than he originally had. So I think that that instance, that alone just made me realize how important, how critical it is that when we arrive at certain points in our life and our careers to make sure that we continue to advocate for ourselves and continue to be our, our own allies as well. I love that you pointed that out. First of all, a huge round of applause for you because that takes a lot of courage to have that type of conversation. And regarding bias, some of these biases are, um, they're not recognized by the person who is displaying the bias. And you probably did that guy a solid by letting him know like, hey man, like you you do have this and I see it in this work and um, and sort of alerted him to, to that bias that he had that probably, you know, give him the benefit of the doubt, maybe he didn't even know. So um, I, I love that. We're about to do a bias training here with my team and I'm very excited about it because all of us have some bias inherit based on a number of different factors. And I think we can become better leaders if we uh, can uh, become awakened to what those are. Absolutely. Awakened and then curious and then curious. Mm -hmm. I think for me, it was important to, uh, although as, 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 um, as angry as I could have been interpreting his situation or making its assumptions, it's like always assume, assume positive intent. And think, you know, going into it and then just be curious and ask the question and let them arrive at, you know, their their own conclusion, but help them, you know, so it's 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 a really delicate balance in between, you know, um, uh, um, your own bias and your own perception of how this person is is going about and, and uh, you know, their decision making process where if you just take a step back and, and be curious and, and um, ask the right questions, it'll it'll help them explore their their own bias as well. So. Yeah, and assuming positive intent, that brief little statement has been such a game changer for me. Mm -hmm. I've realized that my mood or you know different circumstances of what's happened throughout my day could lead me to misinterpret how an email is written or a text is written or how something is, is articulated to me. And when I sort of remind myself to assume positive intent, it's crazy how you can read an email in a completely different light. <laughs> oh yeah. I, for me, it's always eye-opening when I finally meet someone or, you know, that I've, I've only communicated with via email when I meet them face-to-face -face or when I have a phone conversation with them, the tone and just how they come yeah. across is so completely different. So again, that that's important for me to just always uh, assume the, the, um, the positive intent because you were moving a million miles an hour on a daily basis in a short email with, you know, three word response can be perceived as like, whoa, that was rude. But the reality is, you know, that wasn't the intent behind that. And, and again, just uh, assuming the best is, is, you know, I like to remain optimistic, positive and, and give people the benefit of the doubt. Love it. Um, so we talked a little bit about hiring because that was one of the keys to your success as a leader is getting the right people on the bus. And some of the things that you said were a sense of pride, a proven track record to be the best. And you asked them to walk you through their resume. And that's one of the the biggest factors in whether or not they're continuing on the journey to be hired. So what type of tips do you have for job seekers as they're telling their own story? Uh, I, um, I, I, I would say to get very clear about the roles that you have taken on and why, and the highlights that you want to have the hiring manager take away from each of those roles. Uh, and making sure that it aligns with your end goal um, or, or the path that, that you're wanting to be on. I think, you know, for me personally, I'll, I'll start with the very beginning of my journey with sports. I came out of school um, thinking that I had a defined goal and then finding out uh, really quickly that it really wasn't as defined as, as I thought. Um, you know, I, I knew I wanted to, you know, get into sports and be successful, whatever that meant, and was searching for ultimately what I wanted to do, but quickly realized that, you know, decisions are really hard when 
um, you don't know what you want and they're easy when you do know what you want. So uh, I was definitely early on, I was definitely in the, the former where I didn't know exactly with certainty what I wanted. It was one of the most trying times for me, but it was one of the best as well because uh, what I mean by that is I, I really had to take a hard look at what I wanted to do specifically, not, you know, just be in sports, not just be um, on a team, but what did I want to do at that team? And the real hard question was why? So, uh, you know, not the, the glamorized version that you give at a networking event or a cocktail party or at a dinner uh, table with your family or any of that, but why did you want to do it and really get into a conversation with yourself about, um, you know, what, what, what is important to you? And, and I mean everything from financially to status, to geographically, to actual responsibilities, free time, everything. And um, it took going through that part process for me early on that um, a couple of things came to me. One, I absolutely love sales and I never expected to. Um, that was not what I left school thinking I was going to pursue. It, it wasn't even on my radar at all, but I got bit by the bug and uh, quickly realized, whoa, I, I like this. I liked everything about it. I liked the process. I liked how you com competed and contributed to a team. Um, I, I truly loved every aspect. It was exhilarating and rewarding for me on many levels. So as I went through that process, I ultimately had to ask myself, A, what's the end goal? What does that look like in concept? Like at the end of the day, um, the job that I'm aspiring to have, what am I doing on a daily basis? And does that match up to the goals I outlined for myself financially, geographically, and, and so on? Um, and essentially, I, I'd summarize that with get clear on your personal goals and identify a role to pursue and define a clear path based on those goals. And if all of that aligns in um, aligns with the, the story that you're telling as you're walking me through your your resume and your your career experiences, it'll it'll shine through, um, and it'll be clear that you know you're you're a great match for that particular role. What a great answer! And also, like the underlying tone on on that was being prepared, right? Like being prepared for that interview, to interview for that specific role, but also in your own mind, be prepared for your next goal, see yourself in that position, see yourself achieving those things. And is that what you really want to do? And this has come up several times, like, what do I want? What do I really want? Like those are the two questions you ask yourself before you even, you know, put your resume in, in front of the hiring manager. So I think that was, you such a beautiful answer. And um, one of the reasons why you've achieved what you have is because you were so clear on, on what it is that you wanted to do. Thank you. Yeah, of course. And we are at the time of the interview for the final four questions. And the first one's a little weighty. So, you know, whatever you've got to share. And then after that, they're, they're pretty easy. So um, okay. we'll slide into first one. What is your best piece of advice for women? Okay. Um, it's hard to narrow it down, but I think that if, in sales specifically, I think a lot has changed since my, the early days in, in my career. But, um, you know, we've had a lot of, of females with major success in selling over the years. And I personally don't believe that there's a difference to the tendencies or characteristics of a female or male seller. Um, I think confidence, skill, knowing the product, asking open-ended questions, asking for the order, all are the things that lead to success regardless of anything else. Um, and I think that the sports industry is more aware of having a diverse staff in general, and certainly being female is no disadvantage whatsoever. So my advice would be don't ever let anyone make you feel like you don't matter or like you don't have a place at the table because you do and you have the right to be exactly who you are. So leverage your unique strengths, build quality relationships and be fearless in this industry would be the, the main takeaways I, I would have for women pursuing a career specifically in, in our industry. Beautifully stated. All right. Total uh, revert, not reversal, but, you know, jump to the next question would be your next vacation. Where do you want to go? <laughs> it's, you know, um, my, my husband is Greek 
And I have um, been dying to make it over to Greece. And we had this big, beautiful trip planned in 2020 that we had to postpone. And it is still yet to be rescheduled. And it's definitely the, the next vacation that I'm looking forward to the most. Wow, sounds incredible. What is your pump up song? <laughs> I have two. So every morning, um, every morning, and, I, and I'm not even a, a huge Kanye fan, but it's these two songs in particular. So every morning I start the day, my alarm is actually triggered by uh, Good Morning by Kanye West. That gets me out of bed. And then during the day when I need to pick me up or need to feel good about myself, I play So Amazing by Kanye West. So go. Those are awesome. Um, love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Okay. Final question. What is your favorite quote? Ooh, okay. I, I would say the, the quote that I probably say to myself on a daily basis is to thine own self be true. And I look at, it's just a constant reminder for me or a daily reminder. And I, I look at it as you have the responsibility to define and represent yourself with, you know, sound moral and ethical principles, but in the big and small ways and visible situations or behind the scenes act with honor and truthfulness, regardless of the consequences, be honest and, and do the right thing. And for me, it's a reminder to do the right thing by, by myself and stay true to, to me and what my goals are and the, the type of woman that I want to be. Beautifully stated. This has been such a pleasure to get to know you and so appreciate you sharing your voice, experience, and all these lessons with the Leadership is Female podcast, Marta Gola. Thank you. Thank you, Emily. I appreciate it. With that, let's get into the top four takeaways. Number one, 90 coffees in 90 days. Ambitious goal, but how could your life change if you committed to this? Number two, don't pretzel yourself to make a deal work. Be fearless, believe in the product and its solution, and ask for the sale. Number three, when interviewing for a new position, get clear on the goals you hit in your previous employment. Tell a good story about your resume. When interviewing a candidate, ask that person to walk you through their resume and really listen to the stories they tell behind those bullet points. Number four, could a tipping point in your career come from rejection? Don't give up, inquire into feedback, and endeavor into self-discovery. Thank you for listening to the Leadership is Female podcast. It means the world to me that you chose to spend your time with this podcast today. If you like this episode, subscribe, share, and review. What can you do today to lead her forward? We will do our part to lead her forward because leadership is female. Thank you for joining us. This podcast was recorded and edited by Emily Jansen, public relations by Paige Hegedus, and distributed by Anchor FM.